This episode is sponsored by The Kings. Thank you for all of your love and support. This week on Steadfast. I mean, if you look at how many companies are very willing to pay for their women to travel across state lines to get abortion, they just want you back at work as soon as possible. I mean, that is a blatantly transparent move that I cannot believe how many people are falling for. And it really is that sense of just trying to eliminate what makes a woman a woman. Welcome to Steadfast. Welcome to Steadfast. your babies. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Steadfast. I'm your host, Sammy Carroll, Education Coordinator at Life Choices Women's Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona. I realized that I have been a bit MIA for the past few months. We had our Hope Retreat back in July. It was fantastic. We had 54 kids from 16 different parishes and three different states. And I think it's just safe to say that I got a bit burnt out. So I've been taking a break, taking some time. We had another impact day where we sent 50 volunteers out on buses to different pro-life organizations around the valley to serve them. And again, that went great. I've just been really busy and I started homeschooling. So pray for me. That being said, I have been thinking about this. A lot has been on my heart, and I think that I only have five or six episodes left of this podcast. I think that it is very easy with a podcast to go from doing things for the glory of God to doing things for the glory of yourself, and especially when you feel like you have to crank out episodes every week and there is an argument to be made for, you know, if you are consistent, then the algorithm will help you spread more widely, that kind of thing. But I realized that I had a message that I wanted to give out to to spread, and most of that message has been spread. I have done almost all the episodes I wanted to do, and that's why I said five or six more episodes, because I think that there are a few more topics I want to hit before closing it out. Of course, in the future, if there is something that happens, especially legally, or something crazy that happens, I will definitely do an episode. So maybe I'll just pop up every now and then on your feed. But I think that we're getting close to the end, guys. But before we get to the end, I do want to talk to you about 7 Weeks Coffee, named because a baby the size of a coffee bean at 7 weeks. So cute. They are partners with us. You can use a link in our show notes to buy coffee, and it will automatically link you to Life Choices. So 15% of every purchase that you make of your coffee will go towards us as a donation. If you want to use our discount code STEADFAST, you get an additional 10% off. So this week, I am so excited to say that Claire Spinarski was able to join us. So here I was thinking that this episode was going to be my last episode, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect last guest and now she's not gonna be the last guest and that's okay but she I just want you to know that that's how excited I was. Claire Swinarski is also known as the Catholic Feminist. She had a podcast for four years called The Catholic Feminist. I'm gonna put that in our show notes. She is an author. She's releasing a new book in March and it's called The Funeral Ladies of Ellery County and I can't wait to read it. I used her book Girl Arise for a lot of talks uh, when I was a youth minister. So it was so cool being able to talk to her after listening to her for years, reading her book. It's on my bookshelf. And this was just an awesome opportunity to talk to her about being a pro-life feminist. So in addition to writing books for both children and adults, she also has an awesome newsletter called Coffee with Claire. 
I'm going to put all of this in the show notes so that you can check out what she's doing, see all the amazing things that she says, and read her great content. You can tell that we recorded this quite a bit ago because we're talking about summer and now we're already in October. I've made so many pumpkin things. Not that I don't make pumpkin things in the summer because pumpkin is a year-round thing in my household. I just love it. But thank you for being so patient with me, guys. And I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Claire about being a pro-life feminist. Well, hi, Claire. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am pretty good. Tired. My kids haven't been sleeping very well, but that's just kind of the life of... uh a mom of toddlers. Truth. And you told me before we started recording that it's 115 degrees. So yeah. I can't imagine there's like that much you guys can do to get out of the house and get energy out. I took them to um, open gym and a gym. Uh, gyna- oh my gosh. Gymnastics. Like they went to gymnastics yesterday, open gym. They just ran <laughs> wild. And I was like, this is the only way I don't know how else to right now they're going to the firefighter museum. And hopefully, I don't know, we have to get really creative, but Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Sounds like Wisconsin in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm like, I try to tell myself that all the time. I'm like, we don't get to go outside for four months, but you know, everywhere else you can't go outside in the winter months. I mean, I feel like I always tell people like you can always put more clothes on. You can only take so many clothes off. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Because not to get us on a side tangent, but we definitely go outside even when it's very cold because you can just bundle up. But when it's 115 degrees, I mean, that's like not safe to take yeah. kids out in. Yeah, um, I feel like it's a little different. This is totally a tangent. I haven't even been able to say welcome <laughs> to the podcast, but I'm so excited that you're here. Um, can you tell us about how you became known as a Catholic feminist? I know I've known you as that for, I, I don't know how many years. Every time is a blur. Um, but I, I was telling you before I bought your book back in like 2019, 2020, and I definitely use Girl Rise for my um, some of my talks throughout the years. So um, can you tell us how you began that and how basically how you became known as the Catholic feminist? Yeah. So I grew up with a very strong sense of girl power. That is how I would word it. Just a mom who was proud to be a woman and really taught me to have a lot of pride in being a girl and that um, girls were awesome and confident and capable. And my mom would take me on trips to go see like Susan B. Anthony's house and um, where Harriet Tubman is buried, (laughs) just like all of these different like monuments and museums celebrating great women. So I've always identified as a feminist. That word was always very comfortable to me. I also grew up in a very like hippy dippy city where of course you were a feminist. I, I couldn't even fathom someone saying that they weren't. I learned really quickly that that is not how a lot of the world is when I became a missionary after college. I went down to New Orleans and was a missionary at Tulane University and yeah, just learned really fast that a lot of people are very uncomfortable with the word feminist. And I've been on my own journey with like learning a lot about the history of feminism and I have a lot more compassion these days for people who don't want to identify as a feminist. I still do very much, but I also don't like to scare people or be a provocateur. So I'm like, you know what, if you don't love the word feminist because of its history or because of like your secular notions of it today, that's fine too. But that word, in my opinion, just conveys the equality of the dignity of men and women, which I think all people of goodwill agree with. Um, And I grew up Catholic, but I was not on fire for the faith. I did not have a relationship with the Lord. I didn't receive great catechesis. So I just really didn't understand a lot of the faith and what it was about. 
until my own college years at UW when I got really involved in the College Catholic Center after just a couple hard years. Man, university is not a great time for everybody. And for me, early on, it was a really lonely time and a really hard time. And I just found a lot of comfort and peace and love at my College Catholic Center. And through friends there, I got plugged into Bible studies and, you know, I started learning more about the Bible and things started clicking and I just really fell in love with my Catholic faith and very much came home to it in a way that I had never been before. And I particularly loved the way that the Catholic Church treated women, which comes off as very surprising to some people. A lot of people have this sense of the Catholic Church as a place where women are not in leadership and women are not respected unless they're mothers and having 12 babies. And like the Catholic church just wants to tell women what to do with their bodies and all of these things that are not accurate. Um, I want to say it was Fulton Sheen who had the famous quote about there's no one who hates the Catholic church, but there's a lot of people who hate what they think it is or something like that. Or it was GK Chesterton. Don't ask me for quotes. I don't know him, but the sentiment (laughs) of just like a lot of people hate the church because they are unaware of what it truly teaches. Um, And I really dove into just the writings of John Paul II and Edith Stein and learned a lot about how the church really loves and values women and not just for their motherhood. Yes, it loves and values that, but it also just loves and values them as people with dignity And we have so many writings on the beauty of women and we have female doctors of the church. And I mean, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but the American Catholic church is absolutely run by women. I mean, yes, you have priests playing extremely important roles, but take all the women out of the parishes across the country and watch what happens. It would not be good. Um, So women are very much, (laughs) right. Women are very much leaders within the church as well. And I also think we're always, um, getting better at that. And there's always room to improve too. But I I look at a lot of my brothers and sisters in other Christian denominations where I see women really disrespected and mistreated. And I constantly am thinking like, wow, I'm really lucky to be Catholic because I feel very valued and respected. So I just really, this is a rambling answer to your question, but I just really wanted to show women how those two things, being a Catholic and being a feminist, really complement one another and work together and go together perfectly. And I loved podcasts. I was a very early podcast listener. I was listening to like This American Life and that kind of stuff way back in the day. And so in 2017, I launched the Catholic Feminist Podcast and I spent four years interviewing amazing Catholic women getting to have one-on-one conversations with people who have changed my life through their writing. Like Helen Alvarez was a huge highlight. Um, Sister Josephine Garrett. I I got to interview so many incredible women on that show and it was a great time. Um, But I am a woman of prayer and I felt very strongly in prayer that uh, the Lord was asking me to sunset that project. So I did. And I now have a Substack newsletter where I get to write, which has always been another passion of mine. I'm a writer, always have been. And now I get to write about topics like um, sex work and abortion and all of those controversial things that are important to our faith and our culture. So I think 
back in the back in 2017 people saw the words catholic and feminist together and it was a bit more shocking and now i think there's quite a few people on the internet calling themselves a catholic feminist i definitely don't think i'm like the catholic feminist i just think i'm the one who started a podcast about it well i i think of like so many people are saying that i am a catholic feminist but when when Mm -hmm. i hear people say the catholic feminist they're talking about you so it's a good thing. It's, a it's, a, it's an ode to your work that you did. And I, I well, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, that's an honor. <laughs> I appreciate a, the long answer because uh, it shows your heart and like, you know, the, the motivation that you had um, and where you're coming from. So can you give me the just the case for being pro-life from the feminist point of view? Absolutely. Abortion is bad for women in almost every measurable aspect. Um, It's bad for their bodies. It's bad for their mental health. It's bad for their soul. It's, it's not good for women. And not only is it not good for women. um, It's also so frequently used in our culture today as a quick, easy band-aid fix to the real problems that women are facing so it's kind of like a quadruple-edged sword because so often today we are handing women the option of abortion when their real problem is not that they are pregnant and that they don't want to be a mother their real problem is that they feel like they can't afford a child or their real problem is that they're alone and terrified of being a single mother um their real problem problem is that they're worried about their child being discriminated against for having different abilities. Um, All kinds of problems that have nothing to do with them not wanting to be a mother. But instead of walking along with them and helping them be a mother and giving them support in all different ways, we basically just ask them to have an abortion and financially support them in doing that. And it really is just a practice that harms women. Um, And not only those two things, but I would say another huge reason why abortion is bad for women is the issue of gender side. I don't think people think about that as much in the U.S. because we are a country where overall our standards for women are pretty great. Obviously, there's sexism and misogyny exist everywhere, but um, in our culture here, it's definitely less acceptable than in other parts of the world where tons of women are having sex selective abortions and you know Planned Parenthood has lobbied for us to support that as a country and say that we can have abortions for any reason and so um a lot of baby girls are being killed by abortion as well and so there's really nothing good about abortion for women um it's pretty straightforward yeah I've heard a lot about the um the men in China just being so lonely because there aren't there's no women to, to marry um right so heartbreaking. I mean, that's kind of, you know, a little bit of a tangent there, but I just think that um, people don't realize, like you said, the, how common it is in other parts of the world. Um, but I think a lot of people associate feminism with, you know, like you said earlier, women having equal rights to men, but they also seem to think that they like this empowers women. And this is actually a, in support of their rights, but they um, don't seem to realize that they're choosing between women's rights and children's rights. So like, what are your thoughts on that? It's really odd to me when people make the argument that this is trampling on women's rights because it's the government telling us what we can and can't do with our bodies when the government tells us what we can and can't do with our bodies literally all the time. The government tells you that you can't take fentanyl. The government tells you that you can't put back a six pack and then get behind the wheel of your minivan. 
The government tells you you can't use your arms to pick up a gun and shoot someone. The government gives us all kinds of restrictions on our bodies. Also, there's really no other medical condition where you are so attached to another human life. There's really nothing to compare it to. The other thing I see a lot is like the, I don't know, the government like saying men like can or can't get vasectomies. They would never make rules about men's body parts. And I'm like, there's not a human life living in anyone's penis. Sorry (laughs) to be blunt, but it's a, it's a completely (laughs) different case. Um, And I think that you're asking for the right to something that you just don't have by nature or by God or that you shouldn't have by the law. Um, And so you're arguing, you're just arguing for a right that does not exist. You do not have the the right to take someone else's life. Um, I mean, you do in some parts of America by like the government, but you shouldn't have that right to be able to do that. And I think that there's so much that pro-choice and pro-life people could shake hands and agree on, um, like poverty and like, you know, uplifting women out of these situations. But it just seems to me more and more clear that there are a lot of people who really want to keep abortion as the answer for financial incentives, which is really sad. But I, I just think that they're, they're asking for a right that they don't have at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that people also don't realize how the feminist movement and like you could speak to this way more than I can really was trying to say like, look at how great womanhood is. But then they introduced all these things that are really making women more like men. Right. Less womanly. Exactly. I mean, if you look at how many companies are very willing to pay for their women to travel across state lines to get abortion. They just want you back at work as soon as possible. I mean, that is a blatantly transparent move that I cannot believe how many people are falling for. And it really is that sense of just trying to eliminate what makes a woman a woman, um, the, you know, their reproductive health and, and just kind of making that case that the ideal human being is a man who doesn't uh. have to deal with having children. And I mean... There, there's a lot to be said, too, for how our country treats postpartum women in the workplace. I mean, that's another huge reason that people turn to abortion that I think has to be part of the conversation is like, OK, well, we're asking women to have these children that they're bearing. And then, I mean, even some of our faithful Catholic companies are saying, well, you better show up for work two weeks later. though." <laughs> um, so I, I think that has a lot to do with just kind of seeing man is the ideal. Abigail Favalli has some really great writing on that. If anyone wants to look more into that. And I mean, that goes back into the history of feminism too. Like Simone de Beauvoir, she was very into that idea of just that man is ideal and that we should all be trying to be more like men instead of embracing what makes us women. Yeah. People think that, oh, they're empowering me or they're helping me they are supporting me by paying for my abortion it's like no they're actually just wanting to make sure you stay at home and they don't have to pay for maternity leave they don't have to take care of you they don't have to figure out where you're going to pump um and i i mean even like you said like there's plenty of catholic companies we are pro-life but sometimes they're really pro-birth and it's like well what about taking care of people afterwards um even I mean, they've changed this, thank God. But when I had my first child and I worked for a Catholic church, I was I didn't have maternity leave. I had short-term disability. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, like, we're pro-life. You're not supposed to call me having a baby short-term disability. And just even calling it that is not good for our mindset. 
Yeah, I mean, Catholics should be embarrassed, frankly. When we look at the maternity leave offered by some of these super secular companies, I I saw a lot of people, Netflix offered to pay for their female employees to go get abortions. And I saw a lot of people being like, they just don't want to pay for maternity leave. And I'm like, excuse me, Netflix actually has a fabulous maternity leave. Now, I don't think it's good that they're paying for women to go get abortions. Don't get that twisted. But they actually have a wonderful paid parental leave program I'm like, so listen, Catholics, if, if you're going to make that claim, what are you doing at your church? Now, I understand we don't have as much money as Netflix. Like these are real, real problems to solve. And that kind of brings in the whole other topic of like, what's the government's role? What's private charities role? What's the family's role? Like, what are the roles in all of this? But just even to have the conversation. I mean, I've talked to way too many Catholics who are like, what? You're fine. Like, why, why do we even need this? And I'm like, have you ever had a baby? Because... <laughs> Four weeks after having a baby, I am not able to go sit in a cubicle. No, I know some companies, um, banks actually, who've given like their employees like three to six months for their the fathers. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's- my husband has 16 weeks at his job. He has oh 16 gosh. fully paid weeks. It's that's amazing. Beautiful. My husband mm-hmm. had one week and it was actually Thanksgiving week. So it, he already had that time off of <laughs> And he was still expected to answer phone calls and emails and stuff. So that was, he doesn't yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll give my husband's company some love. Not only does he have 16 weeks, but they cut off access to his email. <laughs> so <gasps> it's a really, it, it's amazing. What company yeah. is it? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> what would be your advice for someone who wants to work for those companies? Because I, I do think it's becoming much more of a moral dilemma. Um, even when my husband's looking for jobs, He's like, oh, but you know, even like Amazon's hiring. And I'm like, what? Like, do we want to be working for that? Like, what would your advice be? That's really hard to say. To be honest, I too get sometimes very conflicted by things like boycotts. And right. I, it's really, really hard to say because it's so different for each family situation, depending on like what your role in that company would be and why you are taking a job at that company. You know, are you taking a job because you are desperate to put food on the table for your children? Or are you taking it because you're like, sweet, look at these perks I get from this Mm -hmm. company. I think there's really not a black and white answer. In my opinion, it's hard to make a blanket statement. I'm sure some people would disagree with that. And maybe I'm wrong. I very well could be. But I think that for our family, We spend a lot of time in prayer asking the Lord to make his will as clear as possible. And we also just pay attention to our intentions and just why we're making the purchasing decisions we are. Um, And keeping that perspective too, that like we are all trying really hard in some really faulty systems that I don't know if are ever going to get fixed this side of heaven. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to have lofty goals. I have a goal of zero abortions. That would be, that's an amazing goal to have. And also an awareness that like, I live in a certain period of time and all I can really do is the job right in front of me and um, do my best with my decisions and pray that God has mercy on my soul. <laughs> so I don't really have like a black and white answer. I think it would come down to a lot of prayer. And probably some spiritual direction. I got a spiritual director this year and it's been amazing to have like one-on-one insight into my faith life. Like, I don't know. I think a lot of times that can be really helpful too in parsing out your intentions for things. So that's kind of the advice that I would give. I think there's probably very few companies where it's a black and white hard no. Um, 
I do think they exist. I mean, I don't think a Catholic needs to be working for Planned Parenthood. I just, there's really no acceptable reason for that in my mind, but something like Amazon, it's like, Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I just really don't know. Yeah. I don't think that there is a black and white, except for maybe those companies are. So, I mean, that's the goal of the company is to do something Mm -hmm. completely contrary to the Catholic church and their faith. Um, but I mean, I, as soon as you said like the boycotts, I was like, let's be real. The dollar section at Target is great. Like that's where I get so yeah. many stuff. <laughs> I'm a Target regular. I know some people are not. And you know what? I'm not an Amazon regular. We don't shop at Amazon and maybe those people do. So that's where it comes down to like, look, we're all just making our own purchasing decisions. And I don't like drive past someone with an Amazon box on their stoop and like pray for their soul quick. I just... For me, I don't have a need to do it. Like there's not a benefit that Amazon provides to my life. Um, There are real benefits Target provides to my life. And so it's just kind of that balance. And, you know, again, who knows? I could be wrong about all of this. Maybe I'll get up there and the Lord will be like, what the heck were you doing at Target? But I can say to him, like, look, God, I I really asked you to make it clear. (laughs) I went in your direction and I really tried. So have mercy on me. I, I feel like there's also a difference between purchasing, like at the end of the day, it's like, the, it's the business's choice to, to like what they do with their money, like who they support. And I, I'm not directly supporting what they're supporting. And like, I think about it, I'm like, well, people are have such a thing against Starbucks. I'm a pumpkin lover. So it'll be hard for me to ever say no to Starbucks. But if I, if I want to say heck no to Starbucks, am I going to stop going to Safeway and fries or Kroger for, I don't know what you have over there but all these places that clearly have a relationship. So like I have teens ask me like, so what do I do about, you know, can I go there? And I'm like, you can, it's, there's a difference between purchasing something and also like working for, you know? Yeah. I um, mean, we're having this conversation on a MacBook, like <laughs> on my end. I mean, <laughs> Apple 100% has human rights abuses. Like oh, yeah. I don't know the level of culpability for me in that. Like that's just above my pay grade. I think about it as I use my laptop to do the work of God as much as possible. And if enslaved people help make it, I can pray for them and hope that I can help end that system. But I don't know the level of culpability on me. Like I truly don't. That's probably for a, for a philosopher to decide. Yeah, I, I totally agree. All right. Let's go through some of these uh, common, you know, quote feminist arguments that we hear all the time. Cause I'm, I, like I was telling you, I do a lot of presentations to teens and like, it's it always comes from the the teens like the Q&A or like how do we respond to these arguments that we hear from the pro-choice and um even a bunch of catholic teenagers they just cling to the my body my choice mm-hmm. um so is there i mean i i know that pe- like it's we've heard answers and responses to my body my choice but is there a way to respond to this argument in a way that actually can cause a woman or this teenage girl to actually feel empowered by their decision to keep the baby You know, let me start by saying this. I think approaching an argument with what can I say to this person? Like, how can I fight back with words? That mindset, I would say, is not always the best way to enter into these conversations. I think that for myself, I keep in mind whenever I'm having a conversation about abortion, I keep in mind that there is a very strong chance that the person I'm talking to has either had an abortion or has been affected by it. Their mother had one their sister, their best friend, and they drove them there. I mean, you really don't know someone's situation, not saying that makes it right. I'm saying it helps you have that posture of compassion. And also just thinking about our larger goal. Um, 
changing one person's mind with a logical argument is going to be a tricky thing to do. And I think just to remember to see someone as a human being made in the image of God, um, who we are trying to spread truth and love to not necessarily beat in an argument. It's just a good way to like posture yourselves, genes. So I would probably start by saying that. I know I should, I should yeah, totally which clarify. I'm sure you do. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I totally do. I promise. But um, yeah, I know I'm really, sure you do. I, I say also like, we have to remember that the pro-choice side has very, very honorable intentions. And that is to defend the mom. Like they are like, yeah. we are protecting mom. We are defending the woman. Why aren't you protecting mom? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes, sometimes oh, yeah. they do. It's sometimes yeah. it's not, but. There's always the exceptions, but I was just, I'm trying to say when like you're talking to somebody, like find a common ground with them and like also remember yeah. who knows where they're at. And so show Jesus's love and mercy to them. But with yeah. that in mind, um, yeah. How, how would we respond to somebody who is like, no, my body, my choice. I would again, reiterate the idea that there are a lot of rules about what we can and cannot do with our bodies for the common good. Um, we as a society have decided that there are certain things that we are not allowed to do with our bodies because they harm other people. So first of all, we're already doing that. And second of all, I desire your greatest happiness. And I don't think using your body in that way is going to lead to that happiness. And I don't want you to do it because I think it's bad for you. Um, even if you have the right to do something that doesn't make it a good choice. Um, and putting laws aside, like think for a minute about what you want for women, like wanting what is best for them. And abortion is just not what is best for them. And so even if you think that someone has the right to do it, should they? I guess would be how I would respond to that. It was convenient when I was pregnant with my daughter. Cause I'd be like, um, but what about her body? <laughs> and like, you know, I'm yes. up for, for her, um, she doesn't have a voice yet. And so I think, um, also just empowering that person, maybe if it is like, I, I have, you know, the teenage girls who definitely have had an abortion before, um, maybe addressing with them, maybe why I need to like, think this through before I say it but it's happening. It's coming out. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe like, why do you feel so, uh, defensive or protective? Like, I just feel like there's so many mm-hmm. girls that are so on guard and like, don't tell me what to do. And it's like, well, maybe mm-hmm. let's, like, let's try to get to the root of why you feel such a like pushback, um, mm-hmm. to authority or to having this law, especially for like girls who are not even in that position. They're not even sexually active, but they automatically get defensive you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think out pointing out the unborn child's body, that's true for sure. And can be powerful depending on who you're talking to. I think that the argument against that being a human body is so strong in the culture and media that that can just be a hard <laughs> thing to get someone to understand. Yeah. Like, I totally agree that you can be like, well, what about this other body? And again, sometimes that can be powerful. I also, sometimes I think someone's going to respond with like, well, that's not a body. It's a clump of cells to which again, I would say you're a clump of cells, <laughs> but right? yeah. You know. yeah, we usually go through the fetal development before we go into the argument. So I'm like, well, hopefully by now, yeah, that's now. good. Hopefully Got a little background knowledge. Yeah. Like hopefully by yeah. now. And we also, uh, accompany all the, um, 
presentations with a live ultrasound. So usually okay. a mom, like somewhere between like 11 to 15 weeks, because it's like, do you see how like we've seen babies suck their thumbs at 11 weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and how, like, what's the, the limit for abortion bills? Oh, 12 weeks. Anyway. Yeah. That's that, that's my spiel, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what about if the, the mom is going to die? How do we address that? I feel like pro-choice arguments, um, get popular at certain times, to be honest. And I think that this is a big one and, you know, the cynical side of me and the hopeful side are always at war, <laughs> but my hopeful side is like, I think people are very concerned about women's health and they care about women and they want women to thrive and they don't want anyone to die. And I am sure that is the vast, vast majority of people. I do think there's a subsect of people who understand the medical question that are pushing this argument <laughs> that is honestly does not need to be pushed. Every single pro-life law on the books in the country has an exception for the life of the mother. People get very hung up on the medical terminology of what is an abortion at this point, but there is a difference between intentionally ending the life of a fetus and having to induce labor early, which is what a pro-life practitioner would do in that situation. Those are not the same thing. And any doctor pretending like they don't know the difference, honestly, is malpracticing because any medical doctor understands that those are not the same thing. Um, That's also very, very rare. It is important. I'm not trying to say it's not important. It's crucial to talk about. And it's so essential that we have it clear in legislature. And I understand that there's people who are concerned that it's not clear enough. Great. Let's make it crystal clear. I'm, I'm totally fine with that critique. But that is such a rare circumstance. Um, and it's also it's extremely rare for it to occur prior to the point of viability, you know, 22, 23, 24 weeks. Um, and in that circumstance, delivery is what needs to happen. And so you can induce delivery without going in. And I mean, this is going to be hard for some people who've gone through trauma to hear, but without like dismembering a human being, um, you can induce delivery in order to, to separate the fetus from the mother. And, um, you know, it's, those are super, super tragic cases and we need to have things like perinatal hospice. We need to have care and support for the family. But this idea that women are just dying everywhere because they can't get abortions is, it's just so untrue. It's just, it's, it's just not true. And if you really look into the stories that keep getting floated around, you know, this woman in Texas or this woman in Alabama, um, it's very often a doctor who's playing games because of a law that they don't agree with, which is an absolute tragedy to me that a doctor would put their political preferences over the life of someone that they're supposed to be caring for. So all of that to say, it's extremely, extremely rare um, and dismembering a human being is not required to save a mother. I'm yeah. sorry that you've been lied to. <laughs> right. Plan C um, helps disperse all these abortion pills and they will like walk you through all the legal loopholes. And the founder of that was proud because she's like, there's no unsafe abortion. Like this is safer than Tylenol. And also our company is actually making sure that women aren't dying. So even there's like abortion companies and super pro-choice people who are even saying no, like you're not like the, the moms aren't going to die. But if maybe, you know, you hear like the, the cancer, like what if she has cancer? What if she's going to die tomorrow? There's still like the principle of, um, is it, oh no, 
double effect or double cause or double effect, I think. Gosh dang it. Thank you. I was like, oh no. Yes. Um, <laughs> if the baby is not viable yet. We're going to have to take care of mom. Otherwise, the baby's going to die. Of course, we want to save mom. We're not just going to um, disregard the baby. I mean, we're not going to. Oh, I'm not doing a good job with this. This is just like what, like I just went on like a. <laughs> I'm tracking you. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the theory of double effect, like. You have to look at the intention behind the action. Um, and it, if what you're trying to do is best support the life of both, sometimes what that means is that the unborn child dies because we had to induce delivery earlier than they were viable. Effect. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's and, an effect, but we're not intentionally doing it. There's a difference. And the fact that people are pretending that they don't understand that difference is what gets me. Um, some people genuinely don't, but these doctors absolutely do. Oh, yeah. um, and even just the phrase safe abortion drives me nuts. Abortion is designed to end a human life. Who is it safe for? Okay, you are you think that you're saving one person, but you are ending the life of another person. That's not healthcare. It's just not. I, I did notice a lot on social media that this, like you just said, you know, you know, it's kind of like the trends of people getting really fired up about these issues. Um, I noticed that the issue about saving mom really just got amped up because a lot of these, when, like when Roe v. Wade got overturned, a lot of these laws didn't say anything about miscarriages. So I did actually look up our legislature in Arizona and it says, no, like if you have a miscarriage, you can still have like that abortion procedure. But so many people were freaking out online. I had a miscarriage and I had to have an abortion procedure to get the baby out of me. And if I didn't, I would have died. So you're just going to let me die. And so all these people came out of the woodwork in a like, let's save mom because they didn't understand or maybe in their legislature, it wasn't clearly defined that it miscarriage treatment is not going to be the same as an abortion. And here's my other question. Okay. So even if, and to be clear, I'm not down to do this, but I'm saying even if we said, okay, you can get an abortion if you can like show like a viable medical blah, 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 but it's illegal in all other cases, would that be enough? The answer is no. Okay. So a lot of people are kind of using this as an argument to hold on to a procedure that they want to be legal so badly. But if I just don't always trust the intention of some of these people um, for that reason. Like, I just think that they're using these cases in order to really keep abortion legal, which seems to be their goal. And if I sound cynical, I don't mean to. I think there are a lot of really passionate, smart, caring, pro-choice women who truly are concerned. I really do. I just think that there's another set that are incentivized to keep abortion legal and they're very loud and they write a lot of news articles that get under <laughs> my skin yeah and also I mean it's just not cool to be pro-life unfortunately and like so I I get scared all the time like I, I was scared to tell people people like oh what do you do for your you know your living and I'm like <laughs> well, <laughs> like love me or hate me um but I I think that at the end of the day what it comes down to is not just educating people on life, but also the, the resources, because I was going to ask you, like, what if she doesn't want the baby? Um, at the end of the day, you mentioned it earlier, like we need to, to be pro-life, you know, not just pro-birth, which I mean, that's just kind of dumb. I hate when people say that, but we have to know our resources so that we can properly take care of each other and support women for crying out loud. I think Absolutely. Women are actually going to take care of women. <laughs> 
Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the reasons why post-abortive women say that they had an abortion, the top three from the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-choice think tank, and this was a while ago. This is data from five years ago, so maybe it's changed. But I know back in 2017, it was um, the number one reason was money. People were very concerned um, because they were already living in poverty. So many Americans are just living in chronic poverty. Two, they were afraid of being single and alone because the man that had impregnated them was demonstrating zero responsibility in their lives. And three was they were worried about how it was going to affect like their school or work situation because they didn't feel like their workplace was going to be able to provide them with resources. All three of those things are things that we can help each other with and should be um just aware of like you said like we should know where to point people you should know where your local pro-life center is um you should know it on your college campus where can women go to nurse um and if this feels like a lot of work it, being a feminist and being a catholic are a lot of work i'm sorry no one promised this was going to be a walk in the park it's hilarious to me when i see pro-choice people be like well if we're going to make abortion legal. Like we should step up how much men have to pay for child support and we should make the men have to pay for everything. And I'm like, yeah, hi, like agree. If you think I'm going to like say that the men of this country are fully, fully stepping up in their fatherhood role, you have another thing coming. Like the fatherhood crisis is a huge cause for yeah. abortion. We have got to train our men to be better fathers and leaders Amen. and supporters. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but. How, like, the, the men, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the amount of vasectomies, like, just increased, like, astronomically. And people were like, oh, look at the men stepping up for their women. I'm like, no, they're rejecting you. They're rejecting, like, they want to use your body, not have to deal with the consequences, and not have to have a family this is not like a solidarity. They're rejecting themselves. They're rejecting their manhood. I mean, that is not surprising at all, but is very, very sad. And just a testament to, um, you know, I'm sure some people might be off put by two women sitting here complaining about like the men of the country. I obviously know a lot of wonderful men. I'm married to a great guy. I have, I have a son. But I don't think anyone can deny the fatherhood crisis of this country. <laughs> and seriously, yeah, I mean, we definitely need more men to step up. I mean, that's another it's another thing that kind of irks me when um people talk about uh the like all like all the men telling the women what to do with their bodies. And like the pro-life movement is run by women, absolutely run by women. If you go to a pro-life event, it, there's women everywhere. So people try to say that the men are out here telling them what to do. I'm like, there is a lot of pro-choice men. Okay. Some of the biggest yeah. pro-choice organizations were founded by men with a very obvious intention. Yeah. So. And the lawmakers, the people signing all this in, like uh men <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah if you're gonna talk about like the white male supreme court please look at the one that signed roe v wade and i'm not sure what you think you're gonna see versus wow. the one we have now how convenient that the men want you to be able to abort your child and how convenient right. you know <laughs> like but it's fine we're they're empowering you um oh, i get really fired up all right this is good though it's okay um you know, I, it's out of love. Like, it's really not us just sitting here true. complaining about the men. Like, I want people, I want all people to live up to their fullest potential. Like, I, I, there's plenty of women who are the issue, too. Like, don't get me wrong. I just, 
I think that that's an avenue that isn't talked about enough, I guess I would say. Yeah, I definitely have tried. There's like an organization called like Men for Life, I think. Um, and I, I've been trying to encourage, especially the the teenage boys. I feel like uh, when I, I went to a Catholic school here, um, definitely one that like the, the teachers aren't like most of them aren't Catholic, kind of like a, a more like a, a hurting community. Um, and definitely some a lot of girls that have had abortions. But when I gave mm-hmm. my presentation in six classes in a row, it just gave me a whole new appreciation for teachers. Um, but what my feedback was, we're like, yeah, the guys, the guys get it. The guys didn't actually, they were like, yeah. Um, but they, I think that they just didn't want to be vocal about it. Like they, they, mm-hmm. they were scared. I mean, the social media alone and like our culture is really kind yeah. of silence men, unless you support us very much like, you know, tall, like tolerance but if you disagree with us we're not going to tolerate you yeah i'm sure that that's terrifying i would have to imagine that uh as a man having the like wherewithal to stand up for the pro-life movement you're going to get so much flack i mean i can i can empathize with that for sure well anything that we should add before we sign off here the only other thing i would say is my other big tip for having these kinds of conversations with other feminists is really look for the areas where you can agree because there are so many. I mean, even most of this conversation, there were so many things that all feminists of goodwill would agree with, you know, that men have to stand up for their children and that um, workplaces should better support mothers and that, you know, breastfeeding rights are a thing. Like there's so many things that we can agree on and, if you go in combative versus if you go in loving, you're just going to have a completely different posture. And pro-life work is a slog and it's exhausting. And I get it. I mean, it's really, really draining to feel like you're just pushing this massive boulder up a hill, but you could be planting seeds that bloom years from now and you never see them. So just don't be disheartened. Um, Don't fall into being a provocateur. That's very annoying and does more harm than good. (laughs) And Just, you know, be a farmer, plant some seeds and just trust the Lord that he'll, he'll let them bloom when it's his will. Um, well, where can our listeners follow you on social media? And also, can you tell us about your books? Cause you have one coming out soon, right? I do. Yeah. You can find all my links to everything on clarisswinarski.com. It's one easy link for you. If you want to subscribe to the Catholic Feminist Substack, that's the catholicfeminist.substack.com. And we talk a lot about uh, pro-life feminism over there. So that might be a good place to hang out. Yeah, I am a writer. I have a lot of books. I have books for Catholic women. I have secular books for kids. Um, And I have my first novel for adults coming out in March, which is super, super exciting. Um, It's about grandmas on a mission to save uh, one of the fellow grandmother's homes after she gets scammed by an internet person. So it's really fun and just kind of like an adventurous romp, but also has some sub themes on uh, trauma and faith. And yeah, I really hope people enjoy it. It's called the Funeral Ladies of Ellery County. So that'll be out in March. I'll put all that in the, the show notes. Is it kind of like a, a mystery or like, really not, I guess it's not really a mystery because it's more like an action. Like let's, let's. Um. Yeah. I would just say it's just a contemporary family novel. It's mostly oh. about family, not a specific genre, but coming out through HarperCollins. So very exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was really fun. I really yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> thank you. Bye.